Welcome to the Untangling Life Podcast with Rachel Wojo. I'm Rachel, and this podcast is where you'll find the space to clear your head and calm your heart. Make yourself at home. Well, welcome to episode 16 of the Untangling Life podcast. I'm Rachel, and I want to thank you for listening in today. Currently, we are walking through a series together entitled Learning to Pray from Women in the Bible. I know that many of you have appreciated this series as you've emailed and expressed your thanks, so thank you for that. In episode 13 of the Untangling Life podcast, I introduced the series and we reviewed six women in the Bible and their influence on our prayer lives. In episode 14, I outlined the life of Deborah and shared her prayer secret, that consistent prayer yields strength and confidence unlike anything else. Then in episode 15, I uncovered Hannah's first recorded prayer from 1 Samuel 1. Hannah's prayer teaches us that humble prayer from our deepest places of pain transforms our hearts and God transforms our circumstances. So it hasn't been shallow by any stretch of the imagination. And now today we are diving into the prayer life of Esther. We find her story in the Bible in the book of Esther, of course. Sandwiched between Nehemiah and Job, this book of the Bible is unique in that nowhere throughout the 10 chapters is the name of God ever mentioned. And in fact, although I am calling out Esther's prayer life today and what we can learn from it, there is nowhere in the Bible that says she prayed. But hang with me because there is much to be gleaned about prayer from Esther. Her story begins with grief and sorrow. For the first thing we know about her from the scripture is that she was adopted by her cousin because her father and mother had died. And we don't know how or why they died, but her closest relative, Mordecai, had taken her in and raised her as his own. There's no description of Esther's childhood beyond these facts other than her Jewish name, Hadassah. It's probable that the reason her name was changed to Esther was to hide her Jewish identity. And now enter the kingdom where Esther and Mordecai are living. King Xerxes, also known as Ahasuerus, was reigning in 127 provinces across the Upper Nile region, all the way from India to Kush. The king threw an enormous party that lasted six months, I'd say that was a party. (laughs) It was vast and elaborate and the king's time to show off. And on day seven, he called for his gorgeous wife, Queen Vashti, to appear before him for the express purpose of showing off her beauty. But a little snafu occurred when she refused to show up. Not only did this make the king upset, but his council of wise men were thrown off too. They believed that if the queen thought it was okay not to follow the king's orders, then all the women in the land would feel the same way in their own households. It was a situation of, if the queen doesn't have to listen to the king, I don't have to listen either. This was the attitude the leaders feared they were up against. So they made a plan. The plan was to dethrone Vashti and prevent her from ever standing in the king's presence again. And not only that, her royal position would be given to another, someone who would be happy to respect her husband. This edict was proclaimed in all the land and the women would pay homage to the men in their lives. 
You'd think that they would all live happily ever after at this point, but chapter 2 of Esther says that when the king's anger subsided, he realized what he had done. Now, frankly, I don't think he regretted the haste. I think he regretted being lonely. It is not good for man to be alone is the first time in creation God declared something to be anything other than good. King Xerxes was feeling the loss of his queen. So his personal attendants came up with this idea to collect all the finest virgins in the land and parade them before the king one at a time so that he could choose a replacement queen. Esther chapter 2 verse 8 explains, When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Hegai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Hegai, who had charge of the harem. Now think about this. The Bible says Esther was taken. This means she did not have a choice. Honestly, as I reflect on my childhood of Sunday school lessons, I believe this part of Esther's story is underemphasized. Esther was removed from the protection of her cousin's household and forced to go to the king's palace to live in a harem. Essentially, not only was she a slave to follow the king's orders, but she was primed to take her turn as the king's sex slave, all for a night of losing her virginity, only to be potentially discarded as a concubine and never called into the presence of the king again. Can you imagine the horror of Mordecai? And because he is afraid for her life, he tells her, don't reveal your nationality or family background. Verse 11 of chapter 2 explains that he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem every day to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. What a terrible situation to be in. The little girl he has guarded with his life since she lost her parents is now in the custody of the king's harem. What a nightmare. Could the situation be any worse? What was God doing? But three times in chapter 2, God's word explains that Esther was given favor. In chapter 2, verse 9, Esther won the favor of the man in charge of the harem. In verse 15, the Bible says Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. And again in verse 17, Esther won the favor of the king over any of the other women. These three hints explain to us that even when Esther's situation seemed completely out of control, God was still in full control. So an entire year passed while Esther walked through the daily preparatory regimen issued for the harem until it was her turn to go into the king. On that miraculous day, Esther was crowned queen. The king hosted a banquet for her and proclaimed a holiday and threw a big party. This king sure was a partier. Cue the confetti, cut the cake, all is well. Only evil lurks and Haman, a man deemed as a high noble, is upset at Mordecai and therefore the Jewish people. He describes the people as ones who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different and they don't obey the king's laws. So he makes a deal with the king. He's like, look, king, I'll give you 10,000 talents of silver to the royal treasury if you'll issue a decree that these people be destroyed. And this king, who we now know is easily influenced, issued the decree. This is how Mordecai and Esther come to have their very lives at stake. 
So far, our Queen Esther has lost her parents to death, walked through a sex trade scandal, and now her life is threatened. Sounds like a modern-day reality show, doesn't it? But seriously, Esther is afraid for her life. Remember, she knows what has happened to the queen. She knows the rules of when the queen is allowed to appear before the king. No doubt she has watched others who didn't follow the rules and the results that followed. Upon being persuaded by Mordecai, Esther pressed pause and called a fast. Now, if you're unfamiliar with fasting, I want to take just a minute to share what fasting is and a few reasons for fasting. Because fasting is giving up something, often food, for a period of time in order to focus our hearts and minds and bodies on a spiritual reason. In Esther's case, the reason was that she was facing death. I would say that's a great reason to fast, wouldn't you? Throughout the Bible, God's people turned to fasting when mourning or sometimes in preparation for an event. Either way, fasting was such a part of Esther's spiritual disciplines that she automatically reached for that tool in her desperate situation. So why did she choose a period of three days? Well, we don't know for sure, but in the Bible, the number three carries the significance of completion or an important event. What is Esther teaching us about prayer? Prayer aligns our hearts with God's sovereignty, providing the courage to face any outcome. At this point in Esther's story, chapter 4, verse 15, we find her famous line, If I perish, I perish. Esther knew that she really wasn't in control, and she never had been. As someone who'd lost her parents but had been adopted, she knew that things don't always go the way we wish for. As someone who had been stolen from her home and placed in the king's personal agenda, she knew that life doesn't always make sense on this planet. This is why she fasted. She had to know without a doubt that her God was close and heard her prayers. She needed the courage to be able to face any outcome that came her way. Fasting was how she chose to fortify her prayer life. Fasting was her method of seeking God's guidance. It wasn't her pleading with him to align with her idea or plan, but begging for him to show the way and agreeing that his plan would be best, even if it meant breaking the rules, even if it meant fierce opposition, even if she died for her people. Some of you listening to this podcast right now are watching a loved one slip away into eternity and you aren't sure you can face tomorrow, or maybe you've already experienced loss or grief or sorrow, friend, I want you to know that God only wants what is good for you. This outcome you face is difficult, but God longs to provide the courage and strength that you need. He is with you. He is for you. Go back with me to Esther's birth. Her parents named her Hadassah, which means myrtle tree. In the Bible, parents named their children for what they saw in them at birth. It feels like her naming was a foreshadow of Esther's life. A myrtle tree is a beautiful evergreen. It boasts of white blooms in the summer and it's used as a fragrant oil. It's a tree that signifies recovery and establishment of God's promises. Hadassah was the picture-perfect birth name for Esther. 
Some of you are listening to this podcast right now and you're watching a loved one slip away into eternity and you aren't sure you can face tomorrow. Some of you are meeting fierce opposition from the enemy. He would rather that you are dead. Friend, I want you to know that God only wants what is good for you. This outcome you face is difficult, but God longs to provide the courage and strength you need. He is with you. He is for you. You can be like Esther, the evergreen myrtle, ushering in a beautiful fragrance to those around you. Let's pray this prayer for boldness together. Dear Father, when I think about the largeness of life, I often feel small and unknown. The task ahead hangs over me, and instead of enjoying the adventure, I'm embracing the anxiety. Jesus, help me be strong. Oh, that my heart would dare for you with total abandonment of my inhibitions. May your love abolish any fears and exchange my wavering for unfaltering. May your strength annihilate my feeble thoughts and infuse my spirit with your power. Give me the boldness to step forward in full courage for your glory. Because your word promises that you began a good work in me and you will complete it. May I fully believe and treasure the promise. Amen. God invites us to look beyond the little we have to the largeness of what he offers. That's a quote from my book, One More Step, Finding Strength When You Feel Like Giving Up. And that, my friends, is today's thread of hope. Each episode of Untangling Life ends with a segment called On My Desk. If you sometimes struggle to find the words to pray, then don't miss my brand new resource, 31 Days of Prayers for the Heart. This beautiful set of 31 topical prayers is designed to meet you in your hardest moments. The prayer for boldness from the podcast today is from this pack. Head over to cardshop.rachelwojo.com. Also on my desk this week, the Thankful, Grateful, Blessed Bible Reading Plan and Journal. This journal invites you to recount God's blessings in your life and embrace a heart of thanksgiving. Each day includes two pages with a focused topical scripture reading, prayer journaling mini sections, journaling questions devoted to reflection on the scripture, the principles of the passage, and three gratitude journaling prompts for each day. Also on my desk this week is my friend Carol Kent's beautiful devotional, He Holds My Hand. This devotional is now available in a beautiful gift edition you won't want to miss. Thanks so much for listening in today. Until next time, God sees you and knows your need. Thank you for listening to the Untangling Life Podcast with Rachel Wojo. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to subscribe. For show notes and free resources, visit rachelwojo.com. See you again soon. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. 
Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.